0: Welcome to New Books and Poetry. I am your host, Jen Fitzgerald. It is that time of year again, folks. We are dedicating the entire month of October to the oft-overlooked chapbook. In this second annual Chapbookapalooza, we will be bringing you collections that span geographic, cultural, and intellectual landscapes. For our festival, the headliner goes first, and I couldn't think of a better way to kick off Chapbookapalooza than with Ross White. Ross White is the author of How We Came Upon the Colony, Unicorn Press, 2014. His poems have appeared in American Poetry Review, Best New Poets, 2012, New England Review, Poetry Daily, and the Southern Review, among others. With Matthew Altman, he edited Another and Another, an anthology from the Grind Daily writing series, Bull City Press, 2012, He teaches creative writing at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and the North Carolina School of Science and Mathematics. Welcome, Ross.
1: Thanks, Jen. I'm happy to be here.
0: So although this is a shorter format, we still want to get to know a little bit about you. Can you tell us about where you grew up?
1: Sure. I grew up in North Carolina and in the Washington, D.C. area. My family sort of bounced around uh, in those areas, so I was you know, at a young age, I was a southern kid moving into an urban setting, and everybody kind of said, well, you talk funny, dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I worked really hard to hide my accent. And then when I moved back to North Carolina, everybody said, well, why do you talk so funny? So I, c- I can't win, you know.
0: No, no, totally, and that non regional dialect that we all practice so hard us us folks that come from places where our voices can you know sell us out in a moment, yeah, that non regional dialect is not easy to keep.
1: it's not, and then there are those moments where you reveal yourself where you get really angry mm-hmm. and you just burst into that accent that you've suppressed yeah. for so long can we which add so that? I sound like this crazy hillbilly <laughs> when I get angry, I'm like. I don't even. I'm not even gonna get angry now because the listeners will just be like, "What's wrong with that?"
0: Man? Can we add drunk to that as well? Because angry and drunk are are the worst enemies of those trying to hide an accent.
1: Oh, Jen, I'm a high school teacher, so I've never, ever, ever had a drink in my entire life.
0: Never, never, not Boy, once. Okay,
1: you know that's not true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's move on quickly before we divulge too much. Okay. <laughs>
1: So, oh, are you afraid the listeners are going to learn about you in this moment?
0: Oh, Ross, You'll be the out listeners from behind the
1: microphone. Those
0: listeners, all oh my my dear friends, they know way too oh, much. I about Oh, I know they me. do.
1: I listen to the podcast.
0: <laughs> all right, enough. Uh, do you have any siblings?
1: I do. Uh, I grew up with an older sister, which you know uh, doesn't sound old all that sisters? exciting. But. Hey. But so I had this older sister who she's three years older. And when I was 18, uh, you know, I grew up for 18 years with one sibling. And then all of a sudden I had five because I had a younger brother born that year and my mother remarried. And so then I had two stepbrothers and a stepsister. And I went from this tiny little, you know, family to this sprawling cross continental family, my Step uh, stepsister lives in Australia. My stepbrother lives in Denmark. It's kind of wild to have this sort of family explosion.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I'm the I'm the eldest of five, um, but all of them live on Staten Island, so I have no opportunities for like cool travel or visiting.
1: <laughs> but isn't it kind of wonderful to get to return to a place?
0: Ross, I think you're speaking for yourself.
1: That's probably true. I <laughs> long for it. And you're like, I will go anywhere but Staten Island.
0: <laughs> no, I do. I do. Um, I still love my roots. I love where I come from. But um, I think for the second time in new books in poetry history, I'm going to curse on this, uh, this podcast. People on Staten Island are crazy motherfuckers. And I'm happy to be in Maryland right now.
1: Oh, that That's I all can- I know. That I can believe. I'm thrilled that I was the occasion for curse number two.
0: <laughs> it was Dottie Lasky was the first one. I think she she was dropping f bombs like like they were going out of style.
1: No See, I, I'm a high school teacher. I've never cursed in my entire no, life.
0: Never drank. <laughs> <and> never cursed. <laughs> so let's hear a poem from this kick-ass chapbook. Um, would you please read the title poem, "How We Came Upon the Colony," on page six?
1: How we came upon the colony. After shipwreck, we shared visions a celestial body, a burning hand, and stars. We joined arms, ringed around a raft small enough for one, a floating, backless throne. We set a woman there. At the sandbar, she howled. We heard a great howl returned. We found the colony complete huts built, paths beaten. A quarter-mile inland, no mayor or chieftain, no nursing mothers, no bodies of any kind. From the clearing, we saw the constellation the burning hand arranged. We took shelter as if by force. These books, bound in hides we did not recognize, lay waiting, their pages blank. Since the storm, the woman forgets her name her tongue a red pestle clanking in the mortar when she tries. Only she was occluded from the augury at sea. The rest of us fill the books. We hear no howl since that we have not made.
0: Thank you very much. So let's talk about persona poems and historical poems and uh, research-based writing, because much of what we find in this book um, or chat book, we would like to think about um, what it took you to get here. If you would, please.
1: I wish I could say that this book was meticulously researched, but the fact of the matter is that this colony that the many of the poems occur in is completely fictional. The idea there was that if the, when the U.S. had formed, there had been this 14th colony, and all of the weird things, all of the magic, had been shuttled into this colony, this sort of uh, darker, more mysterious place that that this, this would be it. And of course, it's the colony you know, nobody talks about. Uh, so it's sort of sideways history of the U.S. And when you do this kind of sideways history where you're representing the place, but, but not as it really is, but as it could have been. Uh, the joy there is that you get to just make it up. Mm-hmm. So um, so while the poems probably call out to some moments in history, and, and certainly it sort of careens through American history from colonization to the Cold War to the end of the Bush administration, the second Bush administration, the bad Bush administration, <laughs> um, it... Uh, it does so in, in very loose ways Always imagining That the U.S. is Not quite as it is and I don't know if that means That the, the book is uh, A love letter to the country That we could have been Or uh, a, a form of Protest against the the Country that we became There's, There is one poem in the book that Did require a little bit of research um, And that's a history of deaths in our new colony complete to sixteen fifty six. Which actually line. yeah, thanks. It it has a source text which is um I, I was somewhere on the internet and found a historical document of um of the list of, of deaths in a small and I think it was an Irish uh village, and it was just sort of a catalog of how people died in that village in the sixteen hundreds, and I thought well, so if there's this place where everything's weird and, you know, all the dark magic has gone there, how would people die there? Mm. And, you know, it's fun to kill people off when you've imagined a place. Mm. I mean, that's how the the entire television show Lost
0: worked. <laughs> I never watched a single episode of Lost.
1: In the end, I think, uh, I think it was super disappointing, but, <laughs> man, there was a while where it was the most... Fascinating thing on mm. television
0: mm.
1: so and I know I was watching lost as as this uh, as these poems came together, and so I know that there's there's a sense that you know th- there's this place where things are strange and people are constantly discovering these sort of dark passages. I know there's a way in which lost was probably rattling around in the background of this book
0: mm. see in in the background, I had seen more of. Um, I guess my siblings, in that if my siblings were to be a country and you're one of five as I am, so you understand that five people coming from the same human beings can be totally different. Um, If this country that you're describing, this America, is a sibling country to the one that we have, but it's the honest one and the weird one, the one that's willing to um, create alternate dimensions to truly explain what we are experiencing now and that that's what i pulled from the book i i the chapbook i saw that it was the country that we're living in now but explained through different ways does that make sense
1: it does i've always been fascinated with this sort of alternate dimension version of the place where we are alan moore did this in a lot of comic books um he created this sort of sideways version of britain in a uh, oh gosh what was that it was um wildcat i don't even remember the comic (laughs) book now that's that's really embarrassing Um,
0: well i did put you on the spot here i mean you know it's okay
1: yeah well now I feel like a, a real heel. I'm super well read. Well, oh, so, some guy I can't remember the name of the book.
0: So after reading the next poem, if you if you do remember, please feel free to chime in. But if not, I have like one thousand other questions for you.
1: Well, no, I told you I was gonna uh, that I was jet lagged and that I was gonna just be slow. So I'm That's gonna right. leave it at. I'm really jet lagged.
0: <laughs> so to all of our listeners, just so everyone knows, um, after Ross returned from Vermont, he decided, oh, let me go to Sicily for a while. So he's been in Sicily hanging out on the coast and, and eating much better food than I assure you any of you are. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> Way to rub it in, Jane.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I can accept jet lag, but when you tell me it's from Sicily, I'm going to have to make you feel bad about it.
1: Yeah, that, you're probably not going to succeed. I had a blast. I was at the Breadloaf Writers Conference in Sicily, which is just an absolutely amazing conference. And I'm going to plug it to all of the listeners because uh, it's a phenomenal experience and they, they take amazing care of their participants.
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan of Breadloaf. Big fan. Um, so let's hear another poem. Um, could you please read, Upon Establishing the Colony, We Likened It to Paradise, on page 19?
1: Upon establishing the colony, we likened it to paradise. We found gold in the river Silt. We found beautiful iron in the ore. The oily ink we made from turpentine, walnut, and soot took beautifully to vellum. The vellum rolled beautifully into scrolls. We sent the scrolls across oceans to report on the condition of flora and fauna. It hardly seemed overstatement to borrow language from the Bible. Did we not have the vast array of stars which had guided us here? Did we not have trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food? But Eden, the paradise upon which all paradise might have been conceived, was sparsely described. A few rivers, aromatic resins, minerals whose plenty was dwarfed by copper, opal, silver, and sapphire which seemed to spring from our ground we found the few verses in Genesis wanting. So we broke with God's chroniclers and began recording all that true paradise might use to tempt a man. And eventually, we began to record those temptations. We took note of the bloodshed, the salt and lime spread on the soil, how man, like meat, inevitably spoils. I write today to ask you to burn the vellum. I have laid torch to the libraries we built. The description of paradise is a trifle before the inexorable description of our expulsion from it.
0: Thank you. So um, can you tell us a little bit about your process as a poet?
1: Well, I tend to participate a few months every year in the Grind Daily Writing Series, which is a collection of folks that get together together at the beginning of any given month and commit to writing one complete thing every day for a month. And it's a way to generate just a lot of material. And you understand at the outset that no one's going to write 31 great poems in 31 days, Uh, but what you don't always understand up front is that you're going to exhaust any good ideas or any notes that you've accumulated over the last couple months in the first seven days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, day eight, day 10, day 17 roll around and you're thinking, oh God, what am I going to write about today? (laughs) And by about day 24, you're both sick of yourself and a little bit desperate and that's, I think, the part of the month where the strange and wonderful things start to happen, where you write past the thing that you knew you wanted to say. And I'd be willing to bet that 90% of the poems in this collection probably came between days 24 and 30 or 24 and 31 of a month where I was doing that. And then the the rest of the months, you just revise, revise, you know, take two drafts and marry them together and then write the connective tissue and then cut away the fat. And and then you you do it all again to surprise and terrify yourself.
0: (laughs) That's really great advice, though. Um, I think that poets often write the poem that they think they were meant to write But if they had just continued down for another page or so, they would write the poem that the poem wanted them to write.
1: Yeah, either that or if they cut the last stanza of the poem that they wanted to write, they realized, oh, wow, the poem wanted to be a lot shorter. Totally. Totally.
0: Um, I would love to finish the interview with Westward Expansion on page 24, if you would.
1: This one has an epigraph from Lord Dunmore in 1774. He was the colonial governor of the Bahamas, and he said, If they attained paradise, they would move on if they heard of a better place farther west. Westward Expansion Nothing takes root in the clay that passes for soil, and yet the farmer drags a hoe across. The clouds gather and linger, then move along to some more precipitous climate. The farmer has a daughter whose mother died in childbirth and has taken for a son the child left in blankets atop the tractor, and he sometimes writes in letters to his sister, who remained in Minnesota, that he doesn't feel much at sunrise, but by evening he is filled with the expansive sense of his own emptiness. The daughter cleans the plates after dinner, then tends the boy. And the farmer does not speak after he lights his pipe and settles into a chair. When there is light, he reads the weekly newspaper. Far to the west, teens in a clapboard schoolhouse tuck themselves under their desks. Far to the east, two boys shout at each other through steel cans joined by twine. One boy with skinned knees above ground, the other underneath the flimsy aluminum door of a bomb shelter his father designed and dug. When there is no light, the farmer smokes his pipe and waits patiently to be possessed by hope.
0: Thank you. That's one of my favorite ending lines. Thanks. Is there anything that you would like to say, any um, parting thoughts that you'd like to give your future readers.
1: Well, uh ooh. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> you're asking for original thought when I'm totally jet-lagged. I know. <laughs> it's awful. Um I'm shaking loose the cobwebs, Jen. I'm so sorry. You can just cut this whole part where I'm like out of the interview. <laughs> Twenty
0: two forty Yeah, no, I'm writing it down here just a little
1: <laughs> I think my parting thought would be that I hope uh Chapbook that Palooza becomes the most popular festival Yay. on the, face of the earth. It's like my favorite festival. Oh
0: my god, I love uh, it!
1: Yeah, I'm I'm very excited. I can't wait to hear. I know you've got a, a couple of my favorite chapbooks lined up uh, mm-hmm. the rest of the month. So I'm really excited to to hear that. And um, I guess for my future readers, I just want to say thanks for reading, future version of you. <laughs>
0: And he especially thanks you as the high school teacher that has never cursed or never had a drink in his life.
1: And never even had a sinful thought.
0: Never. (laughs) Well, Ross, thank you so much for coming on here and um, sharing your work and your time with us. I really appreciate it.
1: It was my pleasure, Jen.
0: This is Jen Fitzgerald for New Books and Poetry, reminding you to support all the arts, but especially poetry.